another episode of School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined once again, as always, by Adam and Chris. And guys, let's start off. Hi, Adam, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm, I'm better than I might have thought I was after the opening 20 minutes of that game. So uh, I'm doing pretty good. Three points, three points, three points. <laughs> Uh, I forgot that that's a thing that can happen, that also sometimes you can win, uh, which is weird and new and fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely new and weird and fun in all different sorts of ways. Uh, And today was, you know, a a match in which we needed a win. And I think it was made pretty clear in some comments over, uh, you know, the past week and uh, by, by, uh, Farad Moshiri and, and some other uh, the manager and some players. I, I think we all felt like this one needed to be a win after the way things have been going. And let's jump right into it here. The big storyline from this match was just how good Ademola Lookman was today. Um, you know, he was in the middle of everything that, that Everton was able to create from open play. And it, it now raises the question, you know, now that we've seen Ademola do what he can do and, and, and put together performances like the ones that he has, Adam, is Walcott done? Did he just lose his job? Well, I, uh, I don't know if Theo lost his job necessarily, but somebody sure did because Adam Lookman, you know, needs to be starting. Um, and I think that's, uh, he made that very, very clear today. Um, he brings in open play a creative ability that just none of the other guys that we have out wide seem to have. Um, and I think for me, he was easily the the man of the match in this one, even before he he set up the Calvert Lewin uh, late late goal that obviously didn't didn't really matter at the end of the day. Um, but from start to finish, I thought he was eternally the danger man and uh it's real good to see him get a run and and be able to be successful well and the thing too with lookman is that not only does he do a really good job of creating chances for for others he's maybe right now the only player on the roster who can create a chance for himself out of nothing um be that with a dribble or with a smart run and and having having that ability is is really nice because you know bernard has struggled to get truly involved in the final third we all know what theo walcott's been struggling with richarlison is more of a a battering ram type of type of guy and it's just it it really defenses have to be on their their toes the entire match and and i really appreciate that about him yeah and and you know we've been we've talked about lookman over and over again over the course of this year specifically uh you know we had the whole thing in the beginning of the season with you know, uh, RB Leipzig and, and how things have really uh, progressed um, over this year. And, and it's great to see him finally playing like we expected him to play, like like we were told um, the type of player he was. You know, it's good to see him playing at that level. And I think, you know, he showed us today why, like you guys mentioned, why he deserves to be in the squad and why he's so important to have in his squad. Um, and, and, and he was spectacular today um and it does uh, it does make you wonder uh, a little bit if he's healthy over the last month or or three weeks you know how different could the holiday period have looked um with him available because you know i I think i think that marco silva's you know comments throughout that time period kind of led me to believe at least that that lookman would have gotten substantial uh, substantial chances uh in that that period and you know you you think back to to the the Watford game and and the Newcastle and uh and then Brighton and the whole all, that almost that entire period um that hit that sort of incisiveness that sort of creativity ingenuity on the ball is exactly what was lacking for such long periods um in that that run of matches uh and to see it you know so obviously today i think made it especially stark um and impressive because that's been so lacking uh among the attackers in the the past month or so 
you look back at that Leicester City game as an example where Everton mm-hmm. created just jack shit and his presence in that match would have been really helpful. And I, I you know, it's one of those things where he's obviously electrifying off the bench, but at some point you just have to kind of move forward and say, this is what we're going to do. And this is not really a, a, a judgment on Theo Walcott necessarily, but it's becoming clear that Lookman is one of Everton's best 11 players. Yeah, I, I don't think that after that that performance today, he's certainly one of their best eleven. You know, right now in this moment, um, when everyone else is is in the best possible form, it, whether that's the case or not, I I don't know. Um, but I think for me, anyway, what I I want to see next week, and obviously we'll talk about the Southampton match uh, in a little bit. Uh, if you're going to play Richarlison up top, uh, I think it's Marco ought to be looking at, at Lookman on the left and Walcott on the right. I, I just don't know if you need both Bernard and uh, and Lookman uh, in the game at the same time, uh, because I think that they've got similar skill sets. It's just that uh, Lookman is better. <laughs> Um, and it's nice to have Bernard as an option off the bench, but I'd, I'd prefer to see a little bit more of the directness and finishing, at least in theory, um, that Walcott brings on the, the wing opposite uh, Lookman. Yeah, and, you know, the the way Lookman's playing, uh, you know, it, just going back to it and kind of wrapping this up, we don't want to get into a situation like we did, uh, you know, at the beginning of this season again, and we don't want to uh, – you know, we don't, we don't want to upset him and, and he has earned the right to show us what he's gotten. And really it's, you know, now up to him to just stay in that spot. And, and he really right now should be the only one uh, that, that keeps him out of, out of this 11 because he's been playing, you know, up to par with uh, the rest of the, the starters and definitely deserves a chance to really go out there and continue to earn his spot and continue to perform uh, at the level that he's currently performing right now. But moving on to uh, the defense, you know, a clean sheet was, some would say, miraculously kept, uh, but more myth created enough to generate two expected goals um, in this match. Uh, despite not actually scoring, they had the chances. Chris, we'll go to you on this one first. Where were the defensive breakdowns? What needs to change? So I don't really think that it was as, quite as bad as the numbers are telling us it was, particularly because that David Brooks chance that he kind of rolled off the inside of the post and out in the 13th or 14th minute counted for a big chunk of those expected goals generated. The one thing that did kind of concern me or at least bother me as I was watching the match this morning is that there were a couple times where Jordan Pickford tried to pass the ball out of the back when he really didn't need to and got himself in a little bit of trouble. Um, and you know that we've kind of seen that with Jordan this year is that he's he's been a little over aggressive and I think that he, sometimes needlessly so I mean it's part of what makes him a good goalkeeper right but you know when he's he's trying to ping the ball over to Seamus Coleman who's not ready for it then it goes back to Zuma and back to Pickford and there's Bournemouth attackers converging on everybody there's no shame in just sending it you know 60 yards down the field yeah I I I would definitely um agree that Pickford's distribution at, at times was questionable, but I, I think for me that that would maybe be the the only complaint that I had with the the defense in this one, and not that there were not issues um, coming out of the back, especially in the opening half hour or so um, when we had real real trouble getting through the midfield and it put pressure on the defense because we just couldn't keep the friggin' ball, um, but. Almost all, almost all of that expected goals total that Bournemouth racked up was really just a volume thing. They took a lot of very contested shots, uh, shots that got blocked because it, the defenders were more or less on top of guys in the box. T- to me, there were only two chances in this game that, that Everton conceded that, that were troubling to me. Um, one was the the David Brooks chance that that Chris uh, alluded to, but also that play definitely never should have gotten to the point that it was because uh, 
Kurt Zuma almost got disrobed, physically disrobed, had his shirt pulled over his head um, by, I think it was Josh King, who was, was the guy on him there. So if, if the referee calls a foul there, uh, as he should have, the, the play stops. And if King doesn't try to take Zuma to some kind of place, uh, Zuma <laughs> makes the clearance and, and it's fine. And um, it should be noted that uh, Anthony Taylor did not have a very good day at the office. Uh, has has Anthony Taylor <laughs> ever had a good day at the office? Well, I mean, I I think I've said before on this show that I I generally try to leave the referees alone because they have a difficult job and you know and they don't get credit for when they do do a good job, but everybody piles on when they're bad. This was a bit of an outlier. Um, he was crap. I think Everton ended up with five bookings. I want to say. Uh, I thought it was even six. Well, might, there was there was the one play where literally in the course he of gave 90 out two seconds, cards at once. He, yeah, and he booked Keen. You know, thirty seconds before that. Um, so that's four, five. It was five. You're right. Five yellows for for Everton, which which was ridiculous. Um, that yeah yeah. So, so he just looking at the match log, he books. He books Keen at 64 minutes, then Gomez and Zuma both at 65 minutes. Um, and then it should be noted that there were no yellow cards for Bournemouth, which, you know, it just seems a little improbable to me. Yeah. Um, much like Kurt Zuma almost turning uh, the mat, almost having the match turned uh, not safe for work uh, on that play uh, <laughs> and there being no foul. So, so that, that, that chance, obviously you don't want to see that chance conceded, but I don't think it ever should have been. So I'm not worried about that. The other one um, was was the the chance that Josh King had uh, early in the match, where the the ball came down the the Bournemouth left wing, and he had a decent chance to direct it on goal uh, and kind of scuffed it, and, and Pickford was there. Uh, outside of that, you know, just about everything else that they conceded was pretty much under control, especially for a team that you know couldn't work the ball out of its own, you know, defensive third for the opening half hour of the game. I'm pretty happy with the defensive effort, uh, given, given those circumstances. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I know Bournemouth were missing Callum Wilson today, but, uh, they've been a really good attacking team this season. Their defense, not so much, but, um, <laughs> You know, Ryan Fraser and Josh King are very dangerous, and David Brooks has surprised a lot of people since he arrived from the championship over the summer. And while you can say that this this is a game that Everton should win, and obviously we're all glad that they did, it wasn't really a going into it. It wasn't a walkover either. No, I don't think any of any of us at least expected. You know, with the way that this team has been playing, I'm not sure that there's anybody that we would be walking over, given that. You know, last weekend we couldn't walk over the top team in League Two. So, <laughs> yeah, and that, that's it's a very fair point. I think I think you know when I look at this game, you gotta you gotta think. You know, the three points were there for the taking. We had some trouble in the opening twenty to thirty minutes, but the job got done. We took all three points. We scored a couple goals. We kept a clean sheet, no matter how way how we did it. How it ended up happening, it still was three points. It still ended up on paper being a pretty good performance. Um, and despite what many people want to say, I, I think, you know, it's another situation where a game like that, despite us having so much, so many games like that over the past month or so, you know, even even after all that, that's a game we don't win nine times out of ten over the past couple years. Whereas this year despite the past like month and a half, those games seem to have been a little bit more under control than they have in, in recent years and, and, and games that we've been at least getting some sort of result in, which, you know, it, it is a pretty nice thing, especially against teams that we should beat. Um, but let's move to the attack and, and focus. We talked a little bit about it down on the look, man. Let's focus on um, the attacking three as, as a whole. Adam, what do you think of the attacking three configuration that, you know, took on Bournemouth today, and how did Richarlison do in his return to striker? Um, I was pleasantly surprised, I think, by Richarlison's um, overall play uh, up top. Uh, I have, you know, pretty vocally made note that I'm not a a huge fan uh, of him playing up top, but I thought his hold-up play uh, was better today than we've really seen all season. 
Uh, I thought positionally he was a lot more disciplined, uh, which, you know, I think maybe is in part due to the fact that Lookman uh, was in the match and was making things happen creatively in wide areas such that Richarlison felt okay, you know, I don't need to go out wide and do the winger's job. I can stay in in the central channel and, and do my job. And that's that's been an issue for him uh, a, a lot when he's he's played at striker. I, I know he, he didn't uh, – he had, had the one good chance um, early in the, the second half off the corner. Um, it is what it is. Uh, you know, Richarlison's finishing record at Everton is good enough at this point that when he misses one that was close, I'm not gonna gonna get on his case, especially when overall I thought his his game as a striker was as well rounded as we've seen it thus far. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think you know, I, I think I think that in the past he's gotten kind of a. You know, even on this podcast, we've said that maybe he shouldn't be there. But I, th- I think overall, like you said today, um, you know, he, you know, he, he did his duties, did his job. And while, you know, we didn't score, um, we managed to put together two goals. And I think he played pretty well up there there today. Chris, anything to add uh, about the uh, the attacking three in Richarlison? Um, yeah, so as Adam mentioned, I think that Richarlison was helped a lot by Lookman's presence, and I also think that uh, this is kind of a chicken and the egg thing, but we saw Gilfie Sigurdsson get on the ball in the attacking third a fair bit more often than he has in recent matches, and so that's another th- reason that uh, Richarlison doesn't have to cut inside or you know, t- take up space. He's not getting in Gilfie's way, and I think that's beneficial to everyone. Um, you know, Bernard came out actually with four chances created from open play today and I still came away thinking he was the weak link in the attack I'm not I'm not sure what that says about my evaluation skills but he he Bernard just sometimes seems to get going with a little bit too much of a head of steam and loses track of what he, what he needs to do to be productive so uh, as Adam mentioned earlier I think it would be interesting to see uh, you know Calvert-Lewin back up top with Lukman on one side and Richarlison on the other or some configuration like that Bernard certainly got the skills to play in this league and for this club it's just sometimes he's he kind of is a little bit of a black hole when he gets on the ball and is trying to dribble around people yeah and just to to kind of put a pin on that you know the uh you said Bernard created four chances which technically is true in that he made the pass that led to made passes that led to four shots uh, per understat, the combined XG of those four shots was uh, 0.1, uh, 0.17. Uh, they were all either from outside the box or just inside the box, but wide. So, you know, sometimes those chances created stats get a little noisy just because if I happen to pass to a guy who takes a dumb shot, uh, that technically goes down as a chance created. And one of those shots was that one that uh, Andre Gomes put into orbit. So, uh, I, well, yes. Yeah, I, I think we need those, to consider created. I think we might want to. I think we have enough evidence in at this point that we might want to consider a perma ban on Andre Gomez shooting the football. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I think that's a fair statement. But yeah, I, um, I would, I, I always pull for DCL, and after another goal today, uh. Um, I'm obviously going to keep pulling for him. Just really, really nice finish, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Very nice finish. I, I don't know. I just, in the time that he's gotten to play this year, I just felt like he has, he has, you know, done enough to at least earn a couple, earn some, some starts there up top. You know, he hasn't been terrific, but I think he's probably out of the true strikers we have probably been, been the best out of the three. Um, yeah. But, and I, I do not in any way, disagree with that and I've I think Richarlison left at a right and Dom up top is also a perfectly viable front three that I would be very happy to see I I think that Silva's move back to Richarlison up top today is probably telling um but I agree with you that I think Dom has has warranted it and I don't think that there's anything uh prohibitive about playing those three players together either yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But Chris did mention 
Gilfie Sigurdsson being on the ball a lot more today, being more active on the ball today. And uh, you did speak a little about that. And Adam, I'll ask you as well. Uh, why was he able to do that today? And, and how can something like that be maintained? Because clearly it helped. Yeah, it's uh, it makes a big difference when when the team can can get him on the ball uh, in the attacking third a little bit more. And, you know, I, I think Bournemouth's defensive record uh, now 42 goals conceded in, in 22 games, uh, you know, speaks Good for grief. itself. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Horrible. I believe that's uh, it is third, second worst, second worst in the league. Now, no, third, excuse me. I forgot about Fulham. Third worst in the league. Uh, but uh, so I, I think that you have to acknowledge that that's part of it. But I think that the other major factor is is Adam Ola Lookman, and it's it's in two different ways. Uh, one, I, I think he was such an obvious threat on the ball that that he drew attention, you know, out of the central channel out out to his wider starting position, which creates space for for Gilfie to operate. Uh, and I think that the other is just that he is uh, his style of play is more conducive to getting the ten involved than any of our other wingers. Uh, you know, Theo is is usually better uh, on the offside. Uh, you know, not not where the ball is. You don't really want to see the ball in Theo's feet a ton in the buildup. Uh, Richarlison likes to put his head down and, and dribble a lot, and he can't pass worth shit anyway. So. It doesn't matter. Uh, and Bernard, as as Chris has alluded to, also likes to put his head down and, and dribble a lot. And he's a little bit better at, at getting into the, you know, into the corner and, and getting a decent ball into the box from there. But none of those guys are really the sort of player who are going to be consistently looking to link up with the number 10. And given that Everton has had such problems getting progressions from its holding midfielders forward, then you know that it's going to fall on those wingers to be able to find the 10 and, and get Gilfie involved. And, you know, Lookman's skill set is just far and away uh, most conducive to, to making that happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think, I think you're right with that. I think with Lookman, it's, um, he does add something to the team that, uh, like you said, allows you were like you were saying with the uh, moving the ball and having our home holding midfielders move the ball. It allows um, Gilfie to kind of, I guess, be a little bit more free with some of that. Um, and and also, um, like you were saying, you know, he was such a threat today that that did open up some more space for him as well. And and Chris, do you have anything to add to what what Adam was Adam was saying there? Not necessarily. I just I think the the overall point is an important one that when so Gilfie led the team and actually led both teams in passes completed in the attacking third today. He was thirteen of eighteen, which doesn't seem like very many, but when you look at it from previous weeks, um, you know it would be like six or seven, or who Lucas Denier would have more passes in the attacking third, and you know Dominic Calvert Lewin would. We have success pretty much every game that Gilfie Sigurdsson is prominent. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah. And that's a, a very fair point. And when he's, he's playing well, it, it means good things for us, which is something that hopefully we'll be able to uh, maintain. And, and hopefully a demo looking will play a part in that as well. Uh, no matter how we can do it though, as long as Gilfie's getting on the ball, um, it normally means good things for us, but let's dive into that, that Everton midfield. And then that's, jump away from Bournemouth and kind of just focus on them as a whole right now. Uh, and, and even on this podcast, we've talked about how it was, they were considered a strength uh, of this Everton team. Uh, but in recent games, they've, they've struggled in that midfield, particularly Andre Gomes against Leicester and Bournemouth. Let's start with him. Chris, is there anything going on with him? Is there something that we, sh- that were, that you guys are noticing uh, that, you know, was maybe leading to his rough play over uh, recent games. So just to back up a little bit, when we say that he's, he struggled today, um, it, it was a little bit across the board, unfortunately. So he only completed 33 of 46 passes, which in terms of his percentage is a little bit down. He, um, 
committed three fouls. You know, he was dispossessed several times. He missed, he failed to complete several other tackles that didn't get called for fouls. I don't know that there's anything wrong with him other than fatigue. And the reason that I say that is because, you know, not only did he spend most, um, the most of the preseason hurt, um, the Spanish league does not have this run of fixtures where you have to play four times in eight days or 10 days or whatever it is. And Gomez has hardly gotten a break. And I think that his body is just really unlikely to, to, to be used to this in a way that Ghana's is or in a way that Davies is. And now that we're coming to the tail end of this and, you know, there's going to be an international break in a couple of weeks and I, I hopefully we'll start to see an upswing, but there's no question that Gomez was not great today. And thankfully it didn't end up mattering, but um, there was a point late in the match where I was thinking might be time to give him the old hook because I was concerned he was going to get sent off. Yeah. And, 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 not only do they not play that in La Liga, play these this amount of games over a short period of time, Gomes hasn't hadn't played uh, you know in a significant amount of time coming into Everton. Right? With, yeah, I mean he has yeah. he's hardly uh, played. Period. Yeah, exactly. So adding on to that, that could certainly uh, you know be a uh, something to look at there as as to why we're seeing maybe dip off a little bit. Adam, anything else on, on Gomes? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing about his his play time at Barcelona. He played in all competitions last year for Barcelona, uh, one thousand one hundred and eighty five minutes. So far, after today, he has played one thousand one hundred fifty four minutes for Everton, and he didn't pl- start playing until October twenty first. Yeah, so he's uh, yeah. he's about to blow right by that. So he's he's basically already equaled his uh, his. uh, minutes numbers from last season and he's done it in basically three months of work four months of work so this this kind of makes me think about you know he's not a yet i mean i hope that we can sign him but he's not everton's uh everton don't own him or his rights if you're marco silva kind of how do you play this situation do you start giving him some some more rest if if this is what's going on which i think it's it's pretty evident do you run him into the ground and send him back to barcelona and you know just say sucks to suck sorry about your midfielder <laughs> yeah I, I i suspect you know we we're uh well, part of the problem is that Go it's ahead. clear part of the problem is that it's clear marco really only likes two of his six midfielders yeah <laughs> yeah um, I, and I think, you know, we'll, he'll, he'll start next week at Southampton. Um, but then the week after that is, um, is the FA cup against Millwall at Millwall. Um, I, I would suspect he probably gets, gets to rest there as well. Yeah. Well, um, I don't want to see any projectiles from the Millwall stands hit that guy in his face. You know, he's, uh, he's yeah, too pretty for that. That <laughs> is very true. Um, and then it's, three matches and after that and until the um the international break as you had mentioned so i think he'll get a rest in there uh if if we see him continue um this current run of form you know then i'll be concerned i'm not particularly concerned yet just because he was obviously very good uh up until the, the last couple of weeks the only concern that i would have is that obviously um this is a, a player who has in the past struggled more perhaps than the average player with confidence issues. Um, and I, I just don't want to see him struggle because his legs don't work and, and have that get in his head and take him mentally back a step when really the only issue presumably is that he's tired, which is, you know, pretty fair he does get asked to cover a lot of ground on this team. Yeah. And just looking to wrap it up, looking at it from a a long-term view, the FA cup is, you know, pretty much the only thing that Everton have left to play for, but assuming that they beat Millwall as they should, I'm doing whatever I can to have Gomez fully fit and back, back playing his best before that Goodison park derby. Cause uh, you know, be pretty nice to take something off of Liverpool in their title chase, and we need him to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how Marco Silva manages him 
uh, over the next you know few weeks. He definitely, I, I think we all agree that he definitely needs some rest and uh, maybe getting some uh, in the coming weeks, which will probably be better for him than uh, uh, than anything else. And Chris mentioned that uh, he brought up the point that you know part of this problem with having Gomez play so much is that. Marco Silva really only trusts a couple of of those those midfielders, and you know, begs the question. Adam, we'll go to you. Should Marco Silva be using Davies, McCarthy, and Schneiderlin more than he is? Uh, why? Why not? Got well, the, the 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 issue, and, and you know, and, and this is something that that we've talked about a little bit, is that there isn't anybody in that group who quite can do what Andre can do. Um, we know that Ghana, for all of his strengths, is um, is not a good ball progressor at all. Um, and that's, you know, that's okay. He, he is who he is. Um, and we know that we don't have center backs that are particularly comfortable, you know, running the distribution from, from back to front. So almost all of that really falls on Andre Gomes. The only guy who's even capable of McCarthy, uh, Davis, and and Schneiderlin of of even partially shouldering that load is Schneiderlin. Um, But he's not as good on the dribble. He's not as quick to make his decisions. Um, Davis and McCarthy are more uh, injuries to gay like than they are Andre Gomes like and the issue with both of them is just that they're not anywhere near as good as Ghana is at at what Ghana is is good at you know the the reason that we kind of flipped so much over the early performances of Andre Gomes is is because he is so obviously the only guy who can do what he does um and and I just don't know if there's a reasonable way to try to play uh, by giving him a rest and bringing in either either Davis or McCarthy and Schneiderlin is is only in part capable of the whole package that Andre brings. What what do we have to do? Uh, who do I have to pay off to get one of the local journalists on Merseyside to ask Marco about Benny Benigami in one of his press conferences? Well, yeah. not, not not even like. Are you going to play him or whatever? Just is like he is alive? he alive? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is he in the Luke Garbutt Memorial Shed somewhere? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Uh, because yeah, the the only other guy really anywhere near the setup who has shown any sign of being able to be a Gomesh like player was Benny Beningami, and he did it for you know two hundred and seventy minutes or something last season. And that was it. Um, so it, it's an excellent question, Chris. I, I'm just concerned for the guy. Like, did they put him in witness protection? Um, what's going on? It's very rare that you don't get uh, injury updates or anything like that for one of one of the senior team players, which, you know, Benigami is nominally because he hasn't been playing for the under-23s either. Yeah. Um, and it's not <laughs> – you would suspect – if if he was a, a youth quote unquote youth player, you know he could be playing uh, the twenty three. Like, yes, I'll use him, please. Yeah, obviously, because he's yeah. good, uh, good enough anyway that he didn't look particularly out of place in the in the Premier League. He's he's not appearing on the senior team, and the guys who have, uh, you know, not checked either of those boxes under Silva and Brand's tenure have gotten loaned out. You know, with the quickness, see. Kieran Dowell and Mason Holgate this yeah, month. Had, so you would expect had, if he's not either of those things and he's not hurt, then he would be going out on loan. So yeah, they announced those uh, Dowell and Holgate loans before the calendar even flipped over to 2019. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Marco's like, I've seen enough. Get him out. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and that, you know, and that is exactly, exactly the point. So I, I don't, I don't know what that's about so if if you uh if you are going to be in a con- in a room with marco silva at a presser uh please dm us on twitter so that we can make sure that your question about benny beningami gets us the answers we need thank yes. you yes <laughs> the, we we appreciate the work you do for us <laughs> but no yeah it's 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 interesting because not only 
has he not been on the team sheet or not really like we literally have not heard his name like it's just been it's like there's there's a nobody's allowed to talk about him and it's it's kind of crazy like you guys said I was going to bring up the point as well with the loans like the players that aren't playing for the U23s or aren't playing for the uh, the the senior squad are being loaned out and they're not even hearing anything not even a rumor well that- and we've probably beaten this horse to death at this point but like uh, Beningami was definitely hurt there for a stretch after the preseason, mm-hmm. which I understand. Yeah. But at some point during the fall, I think either October, or November, they started post Everton started posting pictures of him in the full senior team training, um, yeah. you know, on the grass with everybody. So it's like, uh, what's going on? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And ho- hopefully we'll get those answers sometime soon because he is a player who has quality that uh, I think we'd all like to see if he can, you know, be a, a reasonable Back and, up. and he was signed to a four-year extension over the summer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very, very <laughs> so, true so he's well. going to be here even if he's not playing. Somebody's paying him. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. It's 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 a crazy thing, and hopefully we'll hear more about it uh, as as the time goes on. But moving to the other part of that mid that holding midfield pairing in Adrisa Gay. Uh, you know, he's been heavily linked with PSG uh, recently today. I believe I saw something saying that Everton have come out and said that they do not have no plans of selling him. And they've told him that. Um, but from you guys and Adam will go to you. Should Everton sell him? Keep him? What would what would a sale if that is where uh, this may actually be headed? Because who knows nowadays with the rumors, uh, what would a sale mean for this Everton team? Uh, if Idrissa Gay was shipped off to PSG. Funny you should ask. I wrote up a post this week just about that, their question. Um, the, the only thing that I can come up with, the only reason that, that I could see that they would want to do that would be if, if Marco really wanted to implement you know, a pass-heavy, possession-based, works-through-the-center-of-midfield style of play uh, because Idris is not that guy. <laughs> he's, he's not. Um, but in just about any other system, save for trying to literally trying to become Barcelona B team, not just taking the players, but also the tactics, uh, he, he is so good at what he does, Ghana is, and so good at winning the ball that pretty much any other possible tactical plan that you're going to implement, you can use a guy like him. Well, Uh, that's the thing, right? Because, you know, the criticism that we've seen among some sections of Twitter, I'm not going to name names here, but, you know, that Marco Silva's defensive plan is hope that Ghana makes a tackle. Here's the thing. That's pretty reliable. Like it's yeah. it's not this some far fetched concept. He cleans up literally everything. Yeah, um, you know, as as I said when I when I wrote this up this week, you know, the, the, he is maybe if he's not the best in the world at what he does, he's at least top five. And the only other guy, you know, who comes to mind, his name rhymes with Schmunolo Schmonte. So, um, you know, when you're in that conversation. <laughs> you're pretty good. You're pretty good at what you do if that's the guy that you're getting compared to. And, so, and the, some of this maybe is definitely down to Chelsea having a new manager, but Idrissa Gay grades out higher than Conte on pretty much every defensive metric this season. It, yes. Uh, well, there's a lot of... There's, there's a lot to that, but... That, that there is, but no, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, so to me, and I don't know if, if either of you guys have... have different thoughts about why the, the team would want to sell him. Um, that's, that's the only thing that I can think of. Now, when I wrote this up during the week, no one at the club had, had come out and, and said, you know, we're not selling him. Now, still, no one has done that, but we're seeing the reports that he's being told, you know, too bad, so sad, you're, you're staying. Um, if, that, if it comes to that, then, you know, then this conversation is interesting, but ultimately you know, a, a moot point, but it, the fact that we are now 13 days into the January transfer window and no one at Everton has come out and said, you know, no, we're not selling him is unusual when you consider the way that we handled Adamola Lookman 
uh, just mm-hmm. over the, over the summer. And you know, obviously, uh, no disrespect to Lookman, Ghana's a more important player to this team than Lookman is, and we haven't seen that denial of Ghana. So I don't know. It's just a weird situation. It is strange. If I was going to play devil's advocate here and and kind of put myself in Everton's shoes, I think that one of the things that they could be thinking about is holding on to a, a player who's passed it a little bit too long. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that they did that with Leighton Baines and whether they did or not is kind of up for debate because he was maybe the best player in the FA Cup against Lincoln City. But anyway, I, I do think that there is something to be said for cutting ties before you have you start to get diminishing returns. And, you know, with Ghana's all-action style that relies a lot on his his speed and physicality and 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 those kinds of things, maybe he will start to decline soon. But uh, we haven't seen an inkling of that right now. And I think that Everton gets significantly worse the second that he's not in the midfield. Since Adrissa Gay has become a regular fixture in Everton's lineup, um, you know, two or three years ago, the club's record is five wins, 11 losses, and four draws. Um, you know, he he can't pass, but uh, the numbers don't really lie. Adrissa Gay tends to make Everton tick. Yeah, I, you know, and, and most of those those wins, those positive results when he's not in the lineup, um, you know, are cup matches against, you know, Lincoln City for example um so i if if they decide that they want to move on from him i think that you can probably craft a at least somewhat coherent argument to that um but it has to be one that already has a very specific plan in place for where they go next and what personnel they're adding to do so because if they sold him and didn't bring anybody else in in this window uh, I would not watch the rest of the season because it would be terrible. <laughs> I think uh, I think we could all agree that it wouldn't be that that great for that one if he were to be sold for the rest of the season. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's it's a difficult one to see happening just because, like we've said, how important he is. Um, you know, and the only thing I could really think of along the lines of you know not waiting until he's passed his uh you know past his prime and, and you know not adding anything to the team and really kind of taking away something from the team you know brands has shown that he would like to you know keep players or at least have a foundation of players 25 or younger in um you know in, in the in the squad and that seems to be who he's bringing in um but you know, still at that, that's with that point said, you know, even if that's what he wants to do, you know, gay is still pretty important. And I think you need a couple of players uh, yeah. to have some experience there. Um, and we are, you know, the, the only player really that we've been linked to, you know, even that could possibly serve as a replacement is, uh, is in Dombele uh, at Lyon. And I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think we can afford him. Yeah, I don't. I don't yeah. think that we're going to get enough money out of PSG to pry him from Lyon, especially with some of the other clubs that are reportedly circling well, the waters. To your point about PSG and paying for Ghana, they are pretty much bent over a barrel, and when it comes to financial fair play, especially considering that they just let uh, Adrian Rabio leave on a free um, next summer to Barcelona. They pretty much every report seems to indicate they can only play, pay about 20 to 25 million for a player this month. And uh, Ghana's probably that worth about that, yeah, no, Ghana's <laughs> probably worth about double that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so very, very, very fair, very fair point there that he, uh, you know, probably worth a little bit more than that. Um, at least to us, he is. Um, but that's really all that matters. Um, but moving on from Ghana and, and you know, the, the rumors there, another player who hasn't been in Everton squad for the entire season, but has been making some noise of recent uh, or recently, Nikola Vlasic. Uh, he's been in the uh, he's been uh, in, in the papers recently uh, talking a little bit about Everton. And and, and Chris, we're going to go to you on this because you did write an article earlier this week about you know, the, the comments that Vlasic had made and, you know, how he was speaking his mind about, about Everton Uh, and that article for all you guys listening who want to take a look at is tell us how you really feel Nikola Vlasic speaks his mind about Everton. Um, Chris, you know, he 
a, a great understudy for Gilfy next season. But, you know, with the awkward comments made to the press um, just recently, does he have a route back into the Everton midfield? And, and should he? So it's pretty much as a rule, never good when um, players on loan are in the, in the press for reasons that are not their play. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think, uh, you know, we've seen this, this kind of, these kinds of comments in the past with Romelu Lukaku, especially when he was out on international duty. It, it just feels like if, if, I know we complain a lot about Premier League clubs and the lack of access that they give to their players and how they a lot of times they seem like they don't have any personality. But you can also see the reason that they do these things is because of stuff like what Vlasic did during the week, right? He – to answer your question, there he looks re- like a really good player. Um, there's a reason that he's – and it's – it's not just in the Russian domestic league either. He's torn up Real Madrid twice. Um, he's done the same thing to Roma who, you know, Real Madrid's bad, but there's still significant level of competition. And I do think that he should have a route back into the Everton midfield. Um, I would have, I think there would have been a use for him here this season, considering how Kieran Dowell ended up getting on, especially considering he, he profiles as kind of a, a creative number eight, or even all the way number 10 who can progress the ball and create chances. And, you know, if Gilfie goes down, we don't really have anyone else in that spot right now, but you know, you're starting to get concerned that he's at least light the mat, lit the match to, to burn a bridge with comments. Like he doesn't believe that Everton count on him anymore. Um, there, you know, Everton, oh, Everton went and bought $90 million worth of players from Barcelona, so that means they don't want me anymore. It's like, eh, really, dude? Well, I think I, I, I can understand, you know, his, his frustration uh, to an extent. And also, um, <laughs> part of what he said is is quite true. You know, he, he kind of, I, I think that the bigger thing yeah, for, yeah. for me is is that he, you know, he definitely, he takes a shot at the club. It's not just about, I, I don't have a, a route back. It's, you know, it's that Everton spent, you know, a hundred million pounds over the summer uh, and they're still as crap as they were before. Um, it is, is basically, I think the summation of, of the problematic thing that he said, um, right. but he's not wrong. <laughs> well, that's, that's uh, kind of the rub, right? A, a lot of what he said was true, particularly yeah. about, Everton being just as bad as they were last year, particularly even more so about how unpleasant the Allardyce tenure was. The problem is that Nikola Vlasic doesn't really have the reputation to be able to say these things. You know, if it's mm-hmm. uh, Seamus Coleman, that's fine. If it's Leighton Baines, that's fine. Even if it's uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, that's probably fine too. Well, and that's that's kind of I, I think if if you want to create a case for Vlasic still having a, a route back, I don't think you have to look a whole lot. You don't have to look real far because Adam Ola Lookman is a person who exists. Um, you know, he, he never never said anything directly about Everton in the way that that Nicola did, but I mean, he was very very clear about his desire to go back to RB Leipzig over the summer. Um, and Marco told him, well, that's just too friggin' bad. You're going to stay here and you're going to play and eventually you're going to play well. Um, so the fact that, that Marco and Marcel have shown a willingness to kind of put a foot down on a, on a young player who is acting out and trying to get a move elsewhere, um, I think gives you the sense that maybe uh, they could do the same with Nicola. I think the fact that um, Marco has obviously worked some kind of Jedi mind trick to get uh, at a committed to the cause again tells you that it's certainly not impossible <laughs> that the same could be done with Nicola as as well. Yeah, and I think that ultimately Marco and Marcel are are banking on the fact that they know what's better for this young player's career than the player does, which. Uh, you know, maybe they do. It turns out, with in Lookman's case at least, it's, it's looking like the evidence is pretty strong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's an interesting, uh, you know, situation now with the way he, he's spoken out and and whatnot, and and him not being at the club um, also, you know, plays a factor into that as well. And it'll, 
you know, he is good. He's a good player, and and there's no doubting that. But we'll see really how um, how Brands and, and Silva feel about him as a player and how they feel about dealing with him uh, and these comments uh, once his loan is up and the, t- the time for decisions comes around. But moving, uh, you know, to our final uh, topic of today and just to, to get it, Get a quick preview in real quick before we send you guys off for the week. Uh, Everton take on Southampton uh, in the upcoming week. And, you know, since uh, signing their uh, – or uh, bringing on their new manager, uh, Ralph, and this is going to be my best guess at this. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you guys could help me uh, out. Nope, nope, but you're on your own, boss. <laughs> See, I would have helped you until you said that. Now I'm not. <laughs> Ralph uh, Hassenhotel. That's that's pretty good. Let's yeah, go I'll allow it. It's my best my best pronunciation there. Um, since bringing him on, uh, they've been three two and three in 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 his eight games, and you know, really, we ask the question now: Are they finally playing up to their talent? Uh, you know, and, and what has changed since bringing him on, Adam? Well, it's it's an interesting one um, because they they have had some some good results um, over that span. You know, they they drew nil nil uh, at Chelsea, which is positive. They got a win against Arsenal. Um, the thing is that when you look at their most recent match uh, against Leicester yesterday. Um, Everybody and their mother was either suspended or injured. They had no Danny Ings, no Charlie Austin, no Pierre uh, Hoiberg, and they still managed to go to Leicester um, and nick a win, which to me says that... They were down a man for almost the entire match, too, something like 60 yeah. 65 minutes. So I, I think that for a team that has not was had not been good... Um, at either end, offensive or or, or defensive, um, the idea that that maybe a, a new manager has come in and kind of righted the the ship and implemented some structure uh, is impressive. Uh, that is, I think, the more uh, more interesting match for us to look at when we're talking about them playing Everton next week, just because Hoiberg's still suspended. Uh, I believe Austin is still suspended and, and Danny Ings injury status is up in the air. So we are likely to see um, more of the team that beat uh, that beat Leicester than that, which beat uh, Arsenal a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and you mentioned the word structure, which I really think that's uh, probably the biggest thing that Hassan Hoodle has been able to enact there because you know, when we come into the season and we kind of evaluate the 20 teams in the league and where we think they're going to finish and who's going to get relegated, these kinds of things, I don't think that any of us would have said Southampton are in danger of getting relegated. Um, there's just too much. The talent there does not always fit together properly, but there's just too mm-hmm. much of that talent um, to flirt with the bottom three. And Mark Hughes had him doing a little bit more than flirting with the bottom three. It was closer they were to- making sweet love to it is what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's a, it, it was at least third base. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. No, and when when you look, especially with the way you know, we all kind of laughed. I know Chris and I at least laughed when they they picked up uh, Danny Ings uh, <laughs> on loan. But when when you look at the output that that Danny Ings has had as well, you know, and that's on top of what you would have expected at the start of the season. If you would have told me even after this turnaround that that Danny Ings was going to have uh, as strong a season as he has had. And that Southampton were going to be sitting in 16th with 19 points through 22 matches and only a point above the drop. I would have probably told you you were crazy. Uh, yeah, I definitely would have told you you were crazy. I mean, they don't. <laughs> Southampton's defensive personnel concerns me a little bit, but the, they have some really nice pieces in the midfield. Their fullbacks yeah. are pretty decent. Um, I don't much care for Cedric Suarez, but um, that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> they're 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 just too good to be to be messing around down there. And I think that we've, at the minimum, Hassan Hoodle has brought them up to their level. Yeah, and, and let's jump into that right now and talk about some of the players that Southampton has. Uh, Chris, we'll go right back to you. What what Southampton player concerns you the most, you think? 
Uh, so I, I think that, um, it's probably Nathan Redmond, um, simply because, you know, Redmond is kind of that prototypical English winger who has a, a lot of speed, but is not so great at the the whole finishing part of his job, but with the way that Everton have tended to play, especially against uh, worse opposition where both Seamus Coleman and Lucas Denier are pushed way up with the field, there will be opportunities for Redmond to get, uh, Keane or Zuma or maybe Yerimina isolated. And that has, uh, Post problems for for the defense in in games past. Um, I, I think that that the good news uh, for us as Everton fans is that if you made me made me pick, uh, I would probably pick the three players that I had already listed in Austin Ings and and Hoiberg. Yeah, uh, exactly. None of whom I expect to play this this weekend. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know they'll if if uh, if Ings and Austin are not options. You suspect that they'll go with Shane Long up top. Um, Shane Long is pretty fast, I guess, is a thing that you could say about him. Um, it feels like maybe the only nice thing that you could even say Shane about Long, him. Even Shane Long's mom says, well, he's fast, and like yeah. that's literally it. <laughs> um, you know, Stuart Armstrong is a player who has definitely um, had moments this year, you know, if you were going to make me pick one, I'd probably, you know, a, a player who's actually going to play this weekend, I, I might pick Armstrong over Redmond. I'm not real high on Nathan Redmond. Um, but that that tells you all you need to know, I think, that I'm, I'm really struggling to come up with one based on the, the absences about what Everton should be able to yeah to do in this match yeah danny ings caused us a lot of problems um in our, our mm-hmm. first match against southampton and uh pierre emil horberg is uh he's too good to be at that club <laughs> yeah especially to not play as much as multiple managers have not played him that is one of the great mysteries of our time that were he available i would spend a lot of time talking about but since he's not i won't waste your time um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think what we're kind of talking ourselves into here, though, is that this is another game that we should probably win. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you guys on on, on that, uh, definitely. And, you know, another game we should win doesn't mean we will win it because we've seen this story before. But we're looking at Southampton from a Southampton perspective. How can they exploit Everton and, and try and get some points off of us uh, this coming weekend? Adam? Well, I, I think that that Chris has probably uh, probably hit on it with uh, with Redmond, and again, if if Shane Long is up top, Shane Long brings more pace than than either uh, Danny Ings or Charlie Austin would. Um, I think that they're going to look to sit deep and try to defend in numbers and and hit on the break. That's, that's what they did against uh, against Leicester uh, this weekend. Obviously, a little bit different when you play basically a whole half down a man but i mean they got out possessed by lester 72 to 28 i i know that half of that is down a man but still this is lester so i think that 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 is surely uh the plan for southampton in this one and i think that they ought to take a little bit of solace in the fact that teams have gotten away with doing that against us at times this season my concern will be uh, a familiar one to those of you who have watched more than maybe 30 seconds of this Everton season, and that is set pieces. Um, Yannick Vestergaard and Wesley Hoyt are very large, and you know they're not quick, but um, those those corner kicks, I, I think we even conceded on a set piece to Southampton earlier in the season, if somebody can jog my memory on that. But it's it's still an area that concerns me greatly. Yeah, and we have not uh, – we were actually, I will say, you know, we were more or less okay um, on on set pieces in this one. Uh, and, yes, Danny Ng's goal uh, against Southampton – or when we played Southampton earlier in the season did come off a corner kick. You are correct. Uh, yeah. uh, it remains uh, absolutely a, a an area of concern for me as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we wouldn't. I think it would be. Uh, it would. It would be crazy to say uh, we weren't worried about that because it doesn't seem like everything. Anything has been fixed uh, in that aspect. I know, especially over recent weeks, where we had uh, a run of games where things were 
pretty doom and gloom in every area, but specifically set pieces. Um, now moving to the Everton side and taking a look at our team going up against Southampton. How can we exploit Southampton this weekend uh, and get all three points? Uh, I think the the answer is ultimately uh, kind of the the inverse of of what we've just talked about. Southampton has some very large, uh, not very mobile, we'll say, <laughs> uh, to put it kindly, not the fleetest of foot center backs. Hmm. Um, and I think that the idea of guys like Richarlison and Lookman and Walcott um, coming at these guys with pace is is something that should be scary to Southampton and is something that, you know, that we can bring against them better than say Lester could this weekend with that terrifyingly pacey winger pairing of Mark Albrighton and James Madison. (laughs) Um, So that, that is surely the goal, especially if Southampton comes out uh, playing three center backs, which with the guys they are missing, I would be very surprised if they did not. So it's going to be try to find a way to work a little bit of space and just use pace to exploit those giant, giant human beings. Yeah, I think that's a good angle. And um, we mentioned Hoiberg being out, and I, I think that's going to be important. I think that Everton, assuming that um, Andre Gomez is can get a little bit of his mojo back, I think the midfield is an area that that the Blues can boss with with a fair amount of ease. I mean, you know, Oriol Romeo is, uh, well, he's been in the Premier League a long time, and that's probably the best thing that you can say about him. He, <laughs> he, he's violent, um, but there's not a lot to his game. You know, James Ward-Prowse is kind of the another lost, promised English midfielder story. Um, he's good at kicking set pieces, but uh, open play, not so much. And I think that this can be another opportunity to focus on working the ball through the center center of the pitch. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be real interesting to see how everything comes out. And quick question before we move on to predictions and, and finish this up. Is the guy, do you guys think DCL is, is a, an option up, up top being that his pace is uh, something that, you know, you could definitely say he has and, and it could be something that exploits that uh, Everton or that Southampton back line. Yeah, I think so, especially because we've seen at different times this season Richarlison kind of struggle with uh, those bigger center backs who can who can bully him a little bit. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, uh, Cedric over on Southampton's right-hand side, not very good at the fullbacking. Yeah, and he will almost certainly play because their uh, starting right wing back was the guy who got sent off uh, against Leicester, so he'll be suspended for this one. Um, and that's going to bring Cedric into the match. Yeah, there are quite a few Southampton players whose names I don't recognize, which, you know, that may not sound like a big deal, but I play an awful lot of FIFA. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what a Callum Slattery or a Jan Valerie is, or even a a, a Sam Gallagher. Isn't he an Oasis? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, that, don't make me start singing Wonderwall now. Oh, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, doesn't, doesn't normally bode well for a team when you don't really recognize many of the players and you spend a lot of time playing against or with said players. <laughs> yeah. Um, but moving on now, final things, uh, wrapping it up here. Uh, let's get some predictions. Adam, we'll go to you first. What do you got for this this one? I I, I don't. I just don't know. Um, this, at, at, for all the reasons that we've talked about, it feels like a match that I can't rationally come up with a reason why Everton should not win here. Um, but it is away from home. Um, and that actually, no, I can come up with a rational reason and that's it. Um, We've been so poor on the road that it's hard to pick an Everton win, but this Southampton team is just so shorthanded right now. I've, I've got to go. I'll go Everton 2-1, to one and I'll hate it every step of the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do think predicting a second successive clean sheet is just excessively optim- optimistic. Um, 2-1 is also my answer to Everton. I think that their their defense is a little patchwork, especially since I think uh, Maya Yoshida is off to the Asian Cup and 
you know, if Adam Lookman plays and and plays like he did yet uh, this morning, uh, I just don't see how the quality doesn't win the day. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think I think two uh, one is actually the score I was going to go with as well. It just you know. For some reason, I'm still believing, and for some reason, I still believe that Everton, uh, after performance today, can can figure something out, get another win in a row, and, and kind of maybe take another step towards you know getting back to where we were before things fell apart over the last uh, month. But guys, that's it. That's all we got. We that's all we got for you guys out there. Uh, to Chris and Adam, thanks for joining me as always, and to the fans and the listeners, keep following us on Twitter. Keep listening, uh, and, and we'll talk to you guys next week.